Okay, welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk, and as usual on Tuesdays, uh, with me is our producer and friend, Hugo Lindgren. Hugo, how's it going? It's going well, Bradley. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. A um, lot that we want to cover today, so you want to give us a rundown of what we're going to do? Yeah, why don't you first uh, uh, give a little preview of what's coming this later this week, because the sure. one thing we are not going to talk about today is New York City politics, and the reason for that is... Chris Coffey, who is the co-CEO of Tusk Strategies and kind of one of the preeminent experts on New York City politics will join us for Thursday's episode to talk about our new mayor, Eric Adams, the gubernatorial race coming up, the congressional races, and everything else. So we'll punt that to Thursday. Um, and this, by the way, may be a long podcast. I think Hugo and I have been so eager to get back on the air that we have a very long list of topics to cover. I, I should say that while Bradley's body goes on vacation, his mind does not. Um, so I've gotten a, a crazy number of texts um, over the last like two weeks. I try to not bother you that much. No, no, no. It, doesn't, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. Sometimes I don't know how to respond because there'll be these sort of complicated questions. Like, I think you sometimes send like a bunch of the same question to a lot of people sometimes just sort I want of to survey, survey the airport right. thing yeah right so so i get these things and then i don't really know how to answer it in the moment then i feel bad and then i don't answer it you know then, what i should do what? i'll put hl in the text when it's like you go this is for you and i need you to respond <laughs> right and that way you know okay we're gonna we have a strange airport question we'll get to that in a minute but here's what we're gonna do first we're gonna talk about we're gonna we're gonna ha we're gonna ask Bradley for his bets on 2022, and I, I want to preface this by saying that Bradley is not like a gambler. He's interested in the gaming gambling industry, but he's not he's not himself a gambler. But we're using sort of gambling as a frame so that we kind of kind of tighten the focus um, on on not just like open ended predictions. Yeah, like but I these are this. bets, right? So I, I wrote a year end kind of tech predictions column that ran in Fortune in December and. Went on CNBC the other day and talked about it. Um, you can access all of that if you're interested in it. These are like if I were to go online and place a couple of bets, uh, here are some bets that I would And make. you were, in a sense, not yourself. You were sort of a desperate guy who needed the well, bets to also come Well, and because I work <laughs> in the gambling industry, right. uh, I just think it's better to avoid conflicts, especially as we get licensed okay. in different states and things like that. So quickly, we're going to talk about COVID, China, midterms, and the Mets yep. in terms of betting. Um, we're also going to talk about a new poll showing that Americans are more divided than ever about the January 6th insurrection slash riot at the U.S. Capitol. We are going to – now, this is something Bradley just texted me like like half an hour ago, so I don't even know exactly what he wants to go, where he wants to go with this. But we are going to talk about – I'm going to quote Bradley's text, learning to live with it, colon, COVID v. nukes v. climate. Yep. We'll just hang on for that for a second. Um, then we're going to get to the airport question, which is – what is the best airport in the world to be quarantined indefinitely? And that's based on, like, an episode of Station 11? Yeah, I'll, okay. I'll explain it. Okay, yeah. that's fine. Um, Bradley is then going to rank the Disney TV shows from 1 to 7, all the ones that came out in 2021. Yep. And finally, the really the cherry on top here, does Jeff Bezos use HGH? Yeah, and also a couple of books and movies I want to oh, okay. recommend okay. from uh, right. that. Did, did when, at the times where I wasn't, I probably was texting you while reading and watching, but I was trying to occupy my mind with other stuff. Okay, Bradley, you ready? Yep. First question doesn't have anything to do with any of this, okay? Okay. The first question is, and I want you to really wrap your head around this, what is your best argument for optimism about 2022 being a better year than 2021? The best argument would be we are learning, and we'll talk about this a little more later, right. but we're learning to live with COVID, and 
Omicron is as transmissible it is, as it is, does not seem all that deadly. We, uh, shit, it's really hard to find a lot of reasons for optimism here. I'm not optimistic on climate. You know, I think there'll always be new technologies advancing, even if the government doesn't regulate them properly. So there'll right. be some improvements through that. Um, Congress will continue to be a mess. But, you know, you could see state governments continue to make real progress on issues in city governments. Okay. And look, again, I know, we're not, I know we're not talking New York City politics, but I'll give you one. The worst mayor in our history, Bill de Blasio, is gone. <laughs> and Eric Adams, no matter what he does, really can't be worse. And I think there's a good chance it's going to be a lot better. Okay. That, that's optimistic. I there like that. Okay. That, and that tees up your conversation with Chris nicely. Okay. Let's talk about betting. Um, COVID, here's the, um, here's the over-under. Um, what, about 400,000 Americans died each of the last two years, right? A little bit more in 2022, yeah. a little bit less in 2021. Um, what the chance, according to The Economist, um, that more than 400,000 Americans will die from COVID in 2022 is 32%. Are you, right. are you over or under 400? Well, I mean, he, I was thinking about this a little bit. And there's, there's four possibilities. So one, do I believe that there will be more variants that pop up in the next 12 months um, that have a material impact on the world? Absolutely. Okay. Right? right. So that's number one. Then number two is they could go one of four ways. It's obvious. One is they could be both highly transmissible and uh, highly dangerous. Right. That would put us into a full on quarantine again. Right. They could be highly transmissible, but not that dangerous. That's where we are at this moment with Omicron. Right. It could be not that transmissible, but very dangerous. That would still probably put us back into a quarantine or. Um, not that transmissible, not that dangerous, new variant, but people kind of ignore it almost completely. Right. Right. So, and, you know, I'm, I'm not an epidemiologist. So I have no idea which of those four is more likely than, than I know you've been studying hard for that degree, but I, yeah, you I'm, I'm still a few credits shy. <laughs> but, um, but it would seem to me that at least for as long as we live in a world where there are variants, and I think that's just a fact of, of science and, and biology, um, and there is a significant number of people either unwilling to be vaccinated in this country or in many parts of the world unable to get vaccinated. And for as long as we continue to exist as a globalized society, which we both will and should, um, we're going to continue to have this risk. And so absent a major change in attitudes in the United States towards vaccination from those who won't get it, uh, I'm going to take the over. That's terrible. Well, I, you asked me for optimism. I didn't have a lot of reasons other than getting rid of Bill de Blasio. And I, I knew what my answer was going to be to this question. Right. Wait till you hear my qu answer on the Mets. <laughs> well, I'm glad. If there's something to be pessimistic about that's at least fun, it's to be pessimistic about the Mets. Um, so the second, um, the second uh, issue is China. And yep. the specific question is, will China um, uh, make a hostile takeover of Taiwan in 2022? Yeah, I would say no. And again, weird shit happens every single day. But it seems to me, and, and the Ukraine is sort of a, a decent proxy here, which is there's definitely no real desire, I think, in the United States for a war with either Russia or China, right? Those are very, very serious I should, I should wars. hope not. And nor is there a substantial enough political community that supports the Taiwanese or the Ukrainians to really change the, the trajectory on that. So then the question becomes, 
Is the thing happening still so contrary to U.S. interests that even without the support for a war, would we do it anyway? And I would say in Ukraine, despite Biden talking a little tough, we're not going to war with Russia. If Putin ultimately invades Ukraine, we're going to let him have it. Um, because, well, but we're going we're gonna to go to well, economic sanctions. war against Yeah, him. all the same shit that we always do. That's but, pretty bad, though, for the Russians, I mean, isn't he not? has clearly anticipated all of that and chosen right. to, to live with it. He has right. made the bet that we will not fight him militarily, we will impose sanctions, and that is worth it to him. Um, I think with Taiwan, it's the same thing. The only difference is right now, we do have one really strategic critical interest in Taiwan, which is we use those semiconductor plants for our iPhones and for so many other pieces of technology. Uh, a lot of semiconductor plants are lot. But several are under construction in the U.S. right now, especially in Texas. I think what China is really waiting for, it's for the U.S. to be able to basically make all of its semiconductors outside of Taiwan. And once that strategic imperative and need goes away, then all of a sudden our likelihood of defending Taiwan from a military standpoint becomes much lower. And that's when China moves in. Related bet. Which world leader holds on to power longer, Xi or Putin? It's a great question. Um, Xi only because the world is a crazy place. He has his power as part of a system, right? Putin has it as by the strength of his individual force of will, personality, uh -huh. whatever it is. Right. But you know what? Whether it's dictators, mob bosses, whatever else, people always kill the guy in charge eventually when that's how they rule. <laughs> so somebody takes him out eventually. Wow. All right. That's um, but not necessarily in 2022. No, I, I would say a, a, most likely I would say like June 15th, 2023. Um, midterm elections. The current prediction markets uh, show 71 percent chance of Republicans retaking control of Congress yeah. in 2022, which is up from 54 percent. And October by the 1st. way, that may be low. So like the lead story in The Washington Post today was, you know, preparing for the transition from Pelosi to a new Democratic leader. Um, really no one loves power more than Nancy Pelosi. I, by the way, I think generally speaking, she's better than not a speaker. But she is like every other extremely high-level successful politician. She is desperate for power, and she controls it with an iron fist. She's not stepping down because all of a sudden she wants to spend more time with her grandkids. She's stepping down because they're going to lose the majority, and, she doesn't and it's want time to for her to go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which means if, if, if she's already openly talking about that or her people are, um, they've effectively conceded this thing. And then just to make it a little more depressing, if you are – a Democrat, and to be clear again, I'm an independent, and I think both parties are sort of wildly corrupt. And while my individual support tends to lean much more heavily Democratic, I don't have any allegiance to either party as an entity of itself. It helps you get along with your wife, though, if you like, you know, um, support Democrats. Yeah, no? but we still not really, because then it's just like the normal fighting in the left, right, where she takes a far more left-wing position than I do. <laughs> so you might as well. And take so the, you know, yeah, there are some issues that we're on the same on, but but there's a lot of issues where we're not. Um, but look, you just just if, if you just look at the math alone, you got uh, 41 members of Congress already saying they're not seeking re-election. Um, a lot of those, uh, the majority are Democrats. Um, and I think that if you just look at the trajectory of what we saw in Virginia and New Jersey and the governor's races in this past November, um, Biden's popularity and everything else. I'm it's not three really to one if retiring House members in the House, yeah. um, 20, 20 are retiring, and, and, 15, 15 Democrats. Well, and on top of that, so take, again, my friend of our podcast, Josh Gottheimer, my brother-in-law, who's a moderate Democrat in 
from New Jersey. Um, Josh's opposition is not really from the Republicans. It's from the left, right? He right. is endlessly being protested. Uh, there was a story in the New York Post that ran over the break about how at a uh, infrastructure event that he did with Gina Raimondo, members of the Working Panel Party screamed Jew at him, sort of an overt anti-Semitism. Raimondo confirmed that this did happen. Josh told me about it when it happened that right. day. But Raimondo went on the record and, and confirmed it, so clearly it did happen. And, uh, you know, they're going to do everything they can to take him out. So uh, of your... Democrat centrists who are likely to have a harder general election because he, their district is still could swing in either direction. Um, they're going to get the ship beat out of them in the primaries. Josh still wins either way, but you could see some losses from that standpoint too. Okay, so with those, if let's let's transmute those into odds. Um, that means to to um, to if you take the if you take the Republicans to retake the House, you got about three dollars to win one. Yeah, I do would. You like I, those? I would. Yes, you do. Yes, wow. I, I would probably even even take worse odds, to be honest. You would. I just saw it ticked up today. Uh, that the chances went from seventy one so to seventy three since I looked up. So one related question. So what would either bring down those odds or change the actual possible outcome? Right. And so I was thinking about this. Right. It, it's unlikely that anything's going to happen in Congress that's going to meaningfully change it. Maybe Joe Manchin kind of comes back to the table and there's a trillion dollar bill back better bill or some version of that. Um, that's do, not. Do you bad. bet on that? Um, does, you know, that's a good I one. Does, am, Manchin, does Manchin come back to the table with a with a well, with a reasonable well, counteroffer? Well, yes, because as as some listeners here probably know, because we talk about this, right. we have a substantial lobbying operation going on in Washington right now, uh, specifically to get more money for universal school meals in the Build Back Better plan. We've got lobbying firms and ads. We're spending you know six figures uh, so far on this campaign. Um, I'm continuing to do so. Right. On the hopes that Manchin will come back to the table and the thought that whether it's a billion seven or a billion, um, we could get the money in there for school meals. So, yes, I am literally betting on it as we speak. Um, and you like just 50 50 odds on that? You'll take maybe worse. But, really? you know, ultimately, let's say we do poorly but not disastrously and we get three billion dollars more for school breakfast and lunch. And it costs me half a million dollars in contributions and lobbying and ads and everything else. $500,000 of my money compared to $3 billion for hungry kids, like, I think you do that at 20% odds. You do that at 10% odds. Okay. So, um, I know I don't feel great about it, but I think it would be hard to not justify doing it. Now, the most serious issue of all these bets, <clears throat> um, the Mets. Yes, um, by far. Now, DraftKings has them uh, at it's like plus 1,000, which I believe... Third best odds to win the World Series, tied with the last I saw the Yankees and the White Sox. Fucking. Oh, the, the White Sox jumped up there because that I, was a lot. That's the when right. I sent you. In any you, case, so you have the Dodgers, the Astros, yeah. the Yankees, the Mets, and the White Sox. Yeah. So okay. when I sent you a text saying how outraged I was by right. it, um, and that one I think only went to maybe half a dozen different people, not just to you. Oh, really? So no, you I feel, feel special. I feel special. Yeah, yeah, well, you're, you're, kind of, you're kind of a Mets fan. <laughs> we go to games. I, 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 I like, I, I like a lot of Mets fans. Like you, you like know, to go. I like to go. I probably go to. Four or five games with you a year? Yeah. Yeah. So you like also, to go. Also, Bradley's seats are pretty damn My nice. My seats are great, yes. But maybe we could do a raffle for listeners. If, if anybody, maybe one night we'll give away oh, my seats. Oh, we should do that. Yeah. Should we, should we not? Sure. Yeah, we, I we'll guess we can wait. It. We'll figure yeah. it out. We've got a little time. If there is a baseball season. If there season. is a season. Oh, wait. But. We have to. Oh, well, let's, let's do the Mets first, and then we'll do whether there's a baseball season yeah. at all. So um, on the Mets specifically, um, they won, what, 78 games last year? Is that right? Okay. So they, in the offseason, picked up Max Scherzer. Hall of Fame, all-time great pitcher, but he's 38 and couldn't pitch in part of the playoffs because he was too tired. 77 last year. 
77. So they picked up Max Scherzer. They picked up three solid everyday players. Uh, Sterling Marte, Eduardo Escobar. Marte's more Marcana, than solid, no? But a little better than that. I'd say, yeah. you know, you got maybe two of them are a 6 out of 10 and one's a 7 out of 10. Okay. And Buckster Walter should be a significantly better manager than Luis Rojas. However, we lost Noah Syndergaard. We lost Marcus Stroman. Who we did lo- nothing this year. Who though. did nothing, but right. nonetheless is, you know, still a, a talented pitcher. Uh, Marcus Stroman, who did have a good year last yeah. year. Uh, Aaron Loop had an incredible year last year, I think, in the ERA. Did he sign one. somewhere else? He signed with the Angels. Oh, he did? Um, Conforto, who had a terrible year last year, but overall has been a good player in his career. If, if, you, if you just, to me, say, okay, here's everything we gained and here's everything we lost, and here are the holes in the team, right? So Scherzer is a health question. DeGrom never pitches more than, like, 10, 12 games a year because he always gets hurt. So, like, well, yeah, it's going right. to be awesome when he and Scherzer are both in the rotation every five days. That's going to be, like, two months, right? right? And then that's going to so be So let's it. go to a lot of games in April and May. Exactly. That's what happens every year. Right. Right? Then, and then you know, the rest of the rotation is, is a question mark. Bullpen's a question mark. And you got huge holes at catcher. Uh, and second for sure, and Lindor is wildly overrated. I mean, hopefully, he'll prove that wrong this year. But to me, if you add up all, add and subtract and do the math, the seventy-seven win team becomes an eighty-four win team. So, so the okay. idea that they have the third best I, chance I, to win I think the World that's Series all incredibly is nuts. sound reasoning. But I will say this: so if ten to one is the official odds to win the World Series, what are the odds you'd have to get? For the Mets put, and and remember, At don't don't give me like 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 as if the as if the money really mattered, right? Like this was like. 25 to 1. 25 to 1. Yeah. I'd be far more likely to take worse odds on the Republicans taking back the House uh, than on the Mets even making the playoffs, let alone winning the World Series. Now, I know you don't know nearly as much about the Yankees as you do about the Mets, but do you you like their chances better? Better, for sure. Yeah. In part because also they're going to sign some, make some incredible signs. Yeah. Yeah. But they're they're a better team. They're a better franchise. They're a better organization. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, And look, nothing would make me happier than the Mets not only winning the World Series or doing really well, but the Yankees doing badly at the same right. time. Yeah. So that well, would be the... amazing. Uh, but um, I would I would bet the other way on that one. Um, okay. Um, Can we play the airport game now? Do you want to play the airport game? Is yeah. that what we switched to? Sure. Okay, why don't you explain the airport game? Because, first of all, I haven't seen the episode of the show, and I, I, I don't spend it as, enough, as much time as you do in airports. Right. And also... Well, I'll tell you. I'll say this after you. Okay. Uh, I, I I did consult an expert in airports to to this question. Okay. So after you run through some of the through some of the stuff, I'll, yeah. I'll. So here's here's the setup. So there's a show on HBO Max right now called Station Eleven. Um, it's really 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 good. It's based on a great novel by Emily St. John Mandel, uh, and a lot of her books are really great. Um, so we've been watching this this show. And there's an episode, I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying this, that takes place entirely inside of an airport. And it's, Which a, airport is it? It's a fake one in Michigan. It's okay. way too nice for a random place in Michigan. You know, the Detroit airport's not bad, It's not though. bad at all. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But, um, but the, and the, and the premise of the show, it's not giving anything away, is that there's a massive pandemic and, you know, the vast majority of the population dies. So Now, right? why do people watch shows like that in the middle of a pandemic? Isn't that strange? You know, I tried to read the book during the pandemic of actually, I, I, I went on like a kick and I read a bunch of her books and right. really loved it. And I put that one down because it was like, I don't need this right now. Yeah. Uh, maybe because like we know now, even with Omicron, like, look, the, I would say the correlation between HBO Max subscribers and people who are vaccinated and boosted is extremely high. Yeah. Right. 100%? So it's something like that. Yeah. So get, given that, um, and people who are vaccine boosted aren't really worried about dying from Omicron. Maybe now we feel comfortable doing it. So the, the here, so the point is this: they have an episode that takes place entirely inside of an airport, and that episode takes place over a period of a couple of months, two months, something like that. And so it got me thinking: like, okay, 
let's say in real life there was a massive pandemic of some kind and you had to spend the next few years in an airport, um, how would you rank them? Where would you want to be? So, so these were the criteria um, that I was thinking about. So, so one, obviously, first and foremost, is food. And I, I probably asked about 50 different people this, this question. I wrote this very long uh, set up for it. Um, and a lot of people initially responded with like, oh, the Austin airport has great food, or I love the lobster rolls in Logan, or whatever it is. And it's like, look, all the fresh food's gonna be gone in a few weeks, right? Oh, man. So, okay. so, so that's not what you'd really. Oh, so you're need. really cut off, like you're not. Yeah, yeah, it's over, right? You need a store of dry, a massive store of dry goods, which to me is like nuts. Yeah, yeah exactly. So um, duty free. So to me, like any any airport that's not truly international is almost off the board immediately, right? Because I think you need a massive. But every April will have plenty of Also, boots. you should probably become an alcoholic right away. Well, yeah, you're going to. And they drink a lot in that episode. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and a lot of people said, is there a dispensary in this airport? Because if there were, yeah. that would obviously yeah, add. Yeah, uh, you uh, wouldn't uh, be interested in that at all. Uh, no, of course so. not at all. Uh, a, ma- a massive enticement for people. Um, so Are there dispensaries in any airports? No. I looked into this. There's not. Uh, <laughs> probably a good business, though. Uh, I looked into this once I started asking this question. What if that's a good global business and no one has that yet? Not yet. Yeah. It'll come. Um, so, or they'll just sell it. Actually, what we dispensary, they'll just sell it in the duty free like everything else. Right, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you would want one size for a lot of access to dry goods. Two, and this actually ended up being the most important, second most important one, is you have to assume that the power source will not remain on indefinitely. And so you either need an airport with its own generator that has enough fuel to last for the period of time you're in there. I think that's unlikely. I don't think airport generators have two years worth of fuel on hand. Right. Um, or more importantly, more more logically, you want to pick solar. a place. Well, but you can't prepare for this, right? right. So, yes, if, if an airport had solar, that would be helpful for sure. Um, but assuming that they don't. Um, the you, what you would want is an airport in a more temperate climate that doesn't get too hot or too cold. It's like you mentioned Detroit. Detroit's actually a really underrated, very, very good airport. Or O'Hare is a crappy airport, but it's huge, right. right? However, it's so cold in Detroit. It's so cold in Chicago that when you had no heat, um, it wouldn't be worth it, right? right? And they're same thing like Singapore. Beautiful airport. Singapore gets really fucking hot, right? right? So again, I think you'd have to wipe that out. So... Um, Just give us your answer at this point, because I think people are going to be shocked that we're talking more about this. No, I got a few more. Oh, you do? Okay. Never mind. Your podcast. I I think (laughs) it's important that the airport be interconnected. Right. Okay. So, like, so a few people said, well, there's some really great terminals at JFK, like Terminal 4 and Terminal 8 and Terminal 5. And I agree that those are good terminals, but you have to go outside. And we're assuming in this scenario that outside equals death. Oh, really? Yeah. So What's out there? I mean, in the case of Station 11, it was this massive flu, but, you know, we can call it nuclear radiation, whatever we want for purposes of this of this okay. game. Right? So you need interconnected. Um, and then beyond that, you would want, I think, an airport with the nicest, newest lounges. Right? So I actually looked at a list of the Centurion. Those get so grungy so fast. Though. But still, you're starting at a much higher <laughs> point. You have working showers and all of that. And, so, and, so, and then, you know, little smaller things like an airport. Is it connected to a hotel? So then all of a sudden you would have that available. Is there a gym how are the bookstores in the airport? Like Chicago happens to have a fantastic bookstore in it. Really? Again, uh, yeah, it's a wonderful bookstore. Not enough to justify the the, the climate, but a good. Well, the suspense is building. I can't so, wait to know what you're going to pick. Here's what the answers that I got. Um, in the U.S., the winner was San Francisco. Um, okay. God, I don't. Not think... that most people didn't say like, "Oh, I love San Francisco. I want to be there." But it was 
there are some it's all interconnected there are some terminals that are really really new and really really nice because it is a very wealthy city right um the climate's pretty temperate like it's never great but it's usually never terrible either um, so you, your your power the homeless issue. in Seattle and San Francisco not colonized the airport yet? Not yet, not yet. So like, um, so so for those reasons, and it's it's a big international airport, so there's a lot of stuff, right? So um, and I know there's a brand new huge like Hyatt in the San Francisco airport. I don't know if there's like any tunnels that connect it to other other parts of it or not. So that was the main winner in the U.S. Um, people threw out. L- some people liked LAX. Most people did not. Most people just find it to be kind of a gross airport. Um, it depends. A couple of the terminals are really terrible. You know, Denver, the big question is, are the Illuminati headquarters really underneath the airport or not? If they are, that's <laughs> a plus for some people, a, a minus for others. Uh, but they may have, like, a whole stash of, like, power supply and protein bars and stuff like that down there. So so that was important. Um, I thought Charlotte maybe was an underrated uh, possibility because climate, fairly temperate, pretty big airport, nice lounges, um, all of that. For some reason, I bet they don't have a great bookstore in the Charlotte airport. Maybe not. And then, and then the Texas airports came up because I think Houston is a pretty good airport and they actually have some pretty good food. But again, I, w- I would worry about climate, especially Houston even more so than Dallas. Internationally, a lot of the answers were sort of obvious. Um, Heathrow, our friend Howard, who gets mentioned a lot in this podcast, was a big advocate for Heathrow. In fact, he told the story of. Which I still think of Brad, I think of, of of Howard as not being able to fly, but he, I guess he's overcome I, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe we can have Mons talk about how he learned to, to overcome his fear of flying. Um, he told the story that he once flew to Heathrow, spent thirty six hours in the lounge, and flew back to New York. Which did he meet somebody there? No. Which sounds insane, except if you know Howard, it makes sense. Wait, wait. He did that intentionally as a break. Yeah, as a rest. He liked the lounge so he just so much. flew some super deluxe first class thing, something like that. Just listen to a million lounge. podcasts, all the yeah. new music, and then yeah, he had like, a pool table and the big. But for him, not totally crazy. So anyway, he was big for Heathrow. Um, you know, you got uh, of the Asian airports, and obviously a lot of people suggested Asia. That's sort of the obvious thing. Hong, the, the big ones were Hong Kong, Shanghai, Narita, which is Tokyo, and Singapore. Those were kind of the biggest, the biggest choices there. I think Hong Kong generally, again, it gets hot there, but at least there's, there's, it's the altitude's a little higher, so maybe that helps a little bit. I think Singapore, as you mentioned, gets really, really hot. Um, Dubai, which I've never been to the Dubai airport. Now, I wonder, I worry a little bit, do I want to live in a Middle Eastern country as a Jew for two or three years? Um, that's not Israel. That's where you're pointing, so you're going to have to survive two or three years in yeah, this place. Yeah, maybe not. And then the airport that um, I didn't expect that three different people came back I think if with. they go down to rationing stuff, I think the Jews are going to end up at the end of that line. I think so that's, that's why Dubai yeah, makes me a little nervous. That's and likely. this next one, maybe a little bit too, but less so, but people love it, is the Istanbul airport. So that was the unexpected uh, pick uh, of the group and that three of the people suggested Istanbul and they all said it is the nicest airport I've ever been to. And by the way, all people who So are you didn't mention any of the Scandinavian airports. So Schiphol in Amsterdam came up a few times. Copenhagen. I think, but yeah, but it's fucking freezing there. It's not that cold in Copenhagen. I mean, in the middle of the winter with no heat? Do you really want to be in Scandinavia? I don't know. And I've been in the also, Copenhagen airport. No, no light coming in? I know that the, your people are from Scandinavia, so you have a bias <laughs> towards it. But overall... Okay. Um, so yeah. I, mentioned, I mentioned Amsterdam and Copenhagen because those Tyler Cowen of the Marginal Revolution blog, economist, who actually talks about how much he, in fact, likes airports... Um, 
he, I texted him last night, and he said, he, he cited Amsterdam and Copenhagen, and he said that Ben Thompson swears the Hokkaido airport is the is the best of all. Oh, but, really? But probably, probably you've not been to the Hokkaido airport. I have not, but I would like to because there's supposed to be really good skiing there. Oh, you're right. Uh, in Hokkaido, right. so I, my hope would be one day. Hokkaido, to, Hokkaido, yeah, sorry. To do a, a Hokkaido Tokyo trip. And then uh, spend a couple of years in the airport while you're and there. And then spend a few years in the airport while I'm there. Yeah, exactly. Good. Okay, Bradley, I, uh, because, I because we, we want to zero in on the thing, just what's the Bradley Tusk pick for airport to spend two uh, or three years in? Just pick San, one. San Francisco. San Francisco. I know. I wasn't what I would have predicted that would be wow. my choice. But God. after extensive research and conversations, assuming I want to stay in the U.S., uh, and I think I do, um, that's where I land. Okay. So, God, we're going to have Pun to go. Intended, I, I think we've gone fairly fast through all this stuff. Like, well, I, I, I have, so here's what's on my list. I have books I want to recommend. I have movies and TV shows I want to recommend. So we're going to we're gonna table learning shows. to live with it, COVID versus nukes versus climate. I think that's a whole episode. Well, or, or let's, I, we're moving fast. So let me go through the next three things on my list, and then I think what we can do is talk about because in learning to live with it, I don't have. I just have some initial thoughts I want to get out there. So maybe you can. Those can be last, and they can sort yeah. of kick Take us off into and do a, a future sure. a future episode. So, um, three well, books only, please. I don't because you read too much, and you're going to. So I read four over the four point seven. Okay, over first, break. just give us your best one of the four you read. The Last Kings of Shanghai by Jonathan oh, right. Kaufman. Okay. In fact, I, it's sitting here on the table because I, I brought Hugo a physical copy of it, and we're. I'm going to try to get the author on there. It's about these two families, Jewish families, who in the 1800s were forced out of Baghdad, eventually made their way to Shanghai, and basically built modern-day Shanghai, or at least at least the kind of turn of it from a very small backwater city to a, a giant metropolis. Um, they had you know incredible success in the business world, but obviously failure as well. They were opium smugglers at one point. Um, they... Uh, rescued 18,000 Jews from the Holocaust and, and, and then created all this infrastructure within Shanghai and then ended up being put in the same kind of camps that the other people they were rescuing were in too. Uh, so these people really went from like incredible wealth and luxury and they created the Peninsula Hotel chain and all these things to like incredible deprivation. Um, but just the notion of like what human beings can do if they put their mind to it uh, and if they stay focused and they take risk, uh, to me, was pretty remarkable. Obviously, it spoke to me a little bit because of my religion. Um, but when I think about my own life and said, um, what defines how I see the world and would like to live my life? I'm trying to, uh, while I'm sure I'll never achieve anything at their scale. Um, minus the opium trading. Minus the opium. I've already yeah. achieved that twice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's number one. Um, I read Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl uh, okay. because my uh, I was in therapy and I read like a pop therapist book on like or pop psychology book on like self compassion. And my therapist yelled at me and said, "Stop reading pop psychology books." Gave so you like, to read? Uh, no, no, I read it myself and said, "All right, how about this then?" Um, Viktor Frankl wrote this. He's a very, very, very famous uh, psychologist, psychiatrist. He invented a form of psychiatry called logotherapy. Um, but what he's most famous for is he was in the concentration camp during World War II um, and wrote a book about his experience there and really made the underlying argument that um, if, if there is meaning in your life, if there is something greater than yourself, you can endure basically anything, and you can make almost anything work. Now, his situation was literally about the worst that we know of in human history. Um, however, uh, I think his argument more is the things that we think will make us happy and the things that actually make us happy are often two very different things, uh, and he then devoted an entire school of psychology to it. I don't know that I'm going to read more books by him or, or more about logotherapy than I have so far. That's a heavy vacation so far. Those are those are two pretty s s serious books. Yeah, but then books. I got some – so then I read a novel called Ghosts of New York, new book uh, by the name of Jim Dwyer. Uh, by who? I 
think it's Jim Dwyer. Though now I'm thinking maybe that's the name of the Times column. It's a former colleague of yours, right? And maybe it's a different Who's Dwyer. Who's deceased? Who's Jim deceased? Dwyer, yeah. Recently, right? Yeah, um, last year. But anyway, goes to New York. Jim Lewis. Jim Lewis. Jim Lewis. Okay, interesting book in that. Normally, if a book doesn't have a plot, I'm out pretty fast. This book really didn't have much of a plot. It was just these beautiful vignettes about these different people in New York City. Um, but I, I loved it. Uh, highly recommend it. Um, and that's a contender for the Gotham Book Prize. I think right? so. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. Okay. Um, it's certainly on the on the. On we the uh, yesterday I emailed the jury and asked them all to to give me their nomination. So we'll see if anyone knows. I'm on those emails too. I'm very. I mean, I'm not a judge or anything, but I do. You, you I, can do, I do get nominations the updates. if you like. Um, a novel called The Last Days of Night by a guy named Graham Moore. Um, also takes place in New York City, but it's written like 2016, 2017. But it's about the race to create the light bulb effectively between um, Westinghouse, Edison, and Tesla. Now, why did uh, you read that? Someone recommended, a friend recommended it to me, and uh, and it was really good. And I just, you know, I, because I have a very quick trigger finger on books, and I'm not afraid to abandon a book after 30, 40 pages, right. I'm sort of willing to start stuff, too, because um, I'm not worried about getting stuck in it. And I really liked it. And the last one is a, a book of essays uh, by a guy named Matthew Spector called Always Crashing in the Same Car on Art Crisis in Southern California. Have you read that? I, you know, I don't. I know Matthew slightly, and, and I, I, I love his, uh, I guess he has a Substack or something, and I was just reading his most recent uh, his his most recent entry, and I, I thought, you know what, I think I need to read his book. So, so I'm really That doesn't enjoying... seem like a Bradley Tusk book, though. Well, it's very interesting about He's a real it. culture vulture type. Yeah, so there's a lot about, I mean, I kind of find, like, old Hollywood pretty interesting, so stuff like... You do? F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah, like... You watch old movies and stuff? No, but I love, for example, stories like murders set like, and stuff? Yeah, like 1950s LA, the kind of Dashiell Hammett, you know, type Raymond Chandler type stuff. Right. Like noir, I, I really noir. like, yeah, all the noir, the LA Confidentials of the World. Right. I, I like all of that a lot. Okay. Um, so, but his point was more about taking these people who are like him, but much more successful, um, screenwriters, novelists, people like that, and basically charting the course of their rise and fall and kind of, again, not unlike Viktor Frankl in a way, you know, what what causes happiness and what doesn't, and why do these people who did succeed still end up literally killing themselves either through suicide or drugs or alcohol or Okay, you, or mean, you know, it's else. funny. I, I, was actually, I had that on my list to read anyway, and now you've, now you've moved now it up. Now depressed the shit out of you. No, 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 not, not depressed uh, the shit out of me, but unfortunately you gave me this other Shanghai book, so now I got... The Shanghai book's better. I'm kind of... I'm kind um, of and then uh, a couple of movies and TV shows. So, okay. I, now, now I'm worried that we might need to get to the end here. You no, know? we're good. You wanna, we're, you, good. we're good. I uh, so one of the bits <laughs> of feedback I got over the break was keep going. Was that when you and I do this kind of banter, it, people like people it. like it. So and I think we're going to five give, people are still listening. Give exactly. us exactly. All five of you. Do you want to make some offer to the five people still listening? Well, I want to especially thank uh, <laughs> Brian and Ann Tyler Conradi, who I had dinner with over the. In fact, they own. Let me put a plug in it. They own a place called Yurtopia. It's a, it's a yurt hotel in Wimberley, Texas. Wimberley's about an hour outside of Austin. Uh-huh. And we went there and we stayed uh, in Is this episode of Firewall brought to you by Yurt Hotel? I, I, uh, well, Yurtopia. You know Yurtopia. Yurtopia. Sorry. We didn't pay for they They would not let us pay for the room, so I guess sort of yes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, the Yurt Hotel people wouldn't let you pay? The good friend of Harper's from high school. Oh, I see. Okay. So, yes, that makes sense. Uh, not because they would get a plug on I love podcast. that Harper has friends who like opened a yurt hotel. Yeah. So it's super cool. So highly recommend it if you're in the Austin area or San Antonio. Area, check out uh, your. I would actually. In, I think in that's the kind of place I'd like to take my family. I like, but like, it's yurts with Wi-Fi, heating, air conditioning, electricity. It's my kind of yurt. They're Bradley Tuskified yeah, yurts. This is about the best I can do. <laughs> um, movies, TV shows. Um, 
Station Eleven, which I already mentioned, highly recommend. Uh, a, a kind of flawed but show that I still kind of binge uh, called Mayor of Kingstown on Paramount+. Yeah, Plus. yeah, I've seen the ads for that. Um, Russell, uh, I'm sorry, what's his name? Not Russell Crowe. Um, the guy who plays the Hurlocker. Yeah, Jeremy Renner. Yeah, um, Jeremy Renner's a, really a good, good actor. actor. Excellent actor. Yeah. Um, and it's about he's kind of a power broker in this town where there's like seven prisons. And I saw this when I lived in Illinois, when I was working living in Illinois. You have these towns that are prison towns, basically, because that's what dominates the local economy. It's where everybody works. And this was like the most prisony of all prison towns. Is um, it a real place or is it? Uh, no, it's a they, fictional they, place. Um, but he was like an unofficial power broker between like the jails, the cops, the city. Um, if you like, I mean, he's described as a fixer, given that people occasionally will call me that too. Right. I might have well, been more drawn to that, it. The yeah, book. The, my yeah. book called me that. Um, Three movies, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Obviously, I'm not revealing anything here. Everyone doesn't know. It's not the 10th highest grossing movie of all time, but was really good. Okay. Um, Did Lyle like it? Lyle loved it. Okay. Yeah. Licorice Pizza, uh, the Paul Thomas Anderson movie. I would say I would give it like a 6 out of 10. There's something about that name that, it, that I hate. Nor I did it, it really have anything to do with the movie. Um, it was good. It was slow. It wasn't nearly as good as like, what did he make? Like Boogie Nights or There Will Be right. Blood. It, it wasn't at that level. It's hard to be as good as There but Will Be Blood. But if you like his movies, it's 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 good. And then I watched Don't Look Up on Netflix, which I would say if I had gone to the movie theater and spent time on that, I would have been really annoyed. Uh, but I did it over the course of like four different cardio the previews workouts. of that make it just seem so, so awful. So I would uh. say it was entertaining enough that when I am doing the Stairmaster, I need something to distract me. It effectively served that purpose. And did it annoy you and make you mad as you were there pounding away on the stairwell? No, or whatever? no, it was fine. It, it was, was fine. It was fine. It was um, fine. So the other thing is that Lyle and I, you know, Disney – Kind of, uh, and obviously, you're going to rank all seven shows now. The Disney ones. I am. Yes. Okay. This is this is truly, truly the the last part of. We're going to have to get to the. Wait. Big what about Jeff Bezos using? No, you're going to have to. The readers or listeners are going to have to wait that. for that one. No, we'll 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 skip the nukes versus COVID <laughs> versus climate. Um, okay. So, Disney's kind of shifted their business model a little bit and went very heavy on TV shows in 2021. Right. They ultimately released seven of them. Lyle and I faithfully watched all of them, and then we compiled our rankings. Okay, um, start from seven and head seven down the list. is what if it was the animated show uh, about like, hey, what if you know uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy were Thor was one of them instead of Star Lord or whatever it was? Fucking unwatchable, terrible. Don't sounds watch bad. Number six was Hawkeye, so the great Jeremy Renner, who we just really right. enjoyed. Um, not a good show. I love Hawkeye, the character. I really like him, just but it didn't work well at all. Five. Uh, but five, now we're starting to get into decent territory. So Falcon and Winter Soldier, um, not like an amazing work of art, but a relatively entertaining TV show. Um, four, there's only been, there was only one episode released in 2021, and then it'll continue now, called uh, Boba Fett. So that's one of the Star Wars shows, right. John Favreau. Um, the first episode was really good, so that'd okay. be number four so far. Um, three, Loki. That was an excellent show. Would highly recommend it. Okay. Um, two, WandaVision. Same thing. And the first is The Mandalorian, which I think is just spectacular. Mandalorian. So that is an upbeat way to end. No, no. But it was Jeff Bezos. We're talking about because oh, so, it's not Bezos. important. This is such a throwaway. So uh, on my <laughs> political consultant text chain thread, which you're aware of, Bradley is of, not going on vacation for a while now. So don't worry. The future episodes will, will be, be shorter. Little, they'll, a well, they'll be shorter. They'll be a little tighter. Yeah, yeah. but people may even. But or they stop listening. We, we have fine. no way of knowing. Yes, would it cost to listen to this podcast? <laughs> Nothing. We don't even have advertisers. All right. Here so, is the final question of the introductory so episode of 2022 in, in Firewall. Page Does six Jeff and others, Bezos use HGH? So there's a photo of Jeff Bezos <laughs> in page six and other places with his shirt off. He looked fucking great. He's got to be in his 60s, right? Mid-60s? Low to mid-60s? I think he's just like five years older than me, so I think he's late 50s. Late 50s. Anyway, 
it looked fantastic. So then the question became, is he using HGH? Um, my on the political consultant text 57 thread. 57 years old. 57. Um, the view was, yes, he must be. How could you look that good at 57? Otherwise, uh, I then showed it to my trainer this morning. Swimming. Uh, and his view was, it is possible to have HGH, but if you're Jeff Bezos, you have access to such incredible doctors, nutritionists, and others that you could take HGH with virtually no downside and risk. And right. therefore, if you're him, there's no reason not to do it. Okay. So the conclusion was, uh, both from the political consultants who probably don't hit the gym all that often to right. uh, my trainer who's in the gym all day, every day. So yes, when do you start your regimen, so. Bradley? Um, I'm not Jeff Bezos. Uh, and also, look. But you I'm have sure, the resources to take HGH. Yeah, but, but, very to, but to, to what end, right? I'm not, he, he is now dating the supermodel. He's constantly like photographed all over the world. He lives a very glamorous, high-profile life. I do not. Um, but look, I have, I'm sure like most people in this podcast, is like, do I eat this ice cream or not, right? And right. I sort of have those types of questions. Do I, do I get a cardio in today or not? Um, what I've learned is I generally try to err towards being healthy and in good shape. But would I want to have an absolutely miserable diet just to have a good photo on page six? No. Right. The, not the Tom to Brady al- avocado no, Tom ice Brady cream makes a living shit. doing this. Right. I get that. But Jeff Bezos, it's purely ego, right? He doesn't need to look that good uh, for his health. He's doing it purely for his ego so that we talk about him on this podcast. Right, right. And so would I choose to make the sacrifices that he is likely making? No, I would not. So anyway. On that note, on that, on that remind, note remind listeners, the three who are left here, what is happening on Thursday again? Chris Coffey, Chris uh, Coffey, New York City political expert, will be joining us to talk about our new mayor and the upcoming gubernatorial election and congressional elections. Um, and just, just to sum this all up here, I would bet against the Democrats, against the Mets, against the war in Taiwan, uh, take the over on COVID deaths in the U.S. in 2022, uh, San Francisco Airport if you're going to be quarantined in the U.S. for a couple of years, <laughs> Last Kings of Shanghai, Station Eleven, uh, Mandalorian, and yes, Jeff Bezos probably does use HGH. Uh, and I will be back a week from today with Bradley. There we go. Thanks for listening, guys.